The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So for this sitting, we'll explore opening to a dear friend. Part of the reasoning for having specific beings um, that we bring this wish of kindness to is that we might have the idea or the sense of wishing all beings well But then when we uh, put a particular being in mind, it's like, well, yeah, maybe everybody but them. And so it's kind of a a test of our our honesty (laughs) with ourselves about working with all beings. And so the making it specific creates that sense of specific connection with beings. And, a lot, and, and helps us to not fool ourselves. We can fool ourselves sometimes um, about our feelings. And so part of it is getting specific. And so for a dear friend, choosing a dear friend, essentially what we do with these categories of beings, these five categories, self, benefactor, dear friend, neutral person, difficult person, pretty much everybody on the planet will fit into one of those five categories. The vast majority will be neutral. Uh, Some will be difficult, some will be friends, some will be very close to. And so what we're doing essentially with each of these is picking uh, a particular person almost as a stand-in for the other beings in that category. And so for a dear friend, we pick a person that we are close to, that we're connected to, that we have a a sense of friendliness and relationship with. And uh, the difference between the dear friend and the benefactor uh, is that often the benefactor is someone with whom the connection is is quite um, easy, often because we have less of an intimacy with that being, potentially. Um, so a teacher, for instance, you know, we, we tend to see uh, the teacher in, in, their, um, in their strengths and don't actually see when they get grumpy or grinchy or do things that aren't so helpful. And, and so, um, you know, so with the, the benefactor, we're not coming up against the rub so much of our uh, relationship. With the dear friend, we pick someone with whom we're close, but partly because of that very closeness, the intimacy of the relationship can lead to some rub when we start to do the metta practice. And then as we we wish them well, we have a lot of memories in our minds about ways that they've interacted with us. And some of those may be beautiful and lovely and Connected, and some of them may be full of resentment and frustration. 
And so as we explore this practice of wishing a dear friend well, we may, be, we may start to run up also against some of that, you know, the kind of the clenching around, how can I wish them well when they did that thing? Or, and we can also run up against a little bit more of the, the um, uh, I'll love you if you love me kind of feeling at times. So just be aware that as we bring in the dear friend, some of these other um, qualities, can, some of these other situations can come into our minds. And the practice is to see if we can just continue with the metta practice, trying to orient. It's kind of like we re, we're not trying to repress or deny that all of this other stuff goes on in our relationship. We're not trying to repress or deny that, yes, there are those struggles in the relationship. But what we're doing at this point is orienting towards those areas that there is the connection. And so as those thoughts might come up, uh, but they did that thing, you can just, you know, kind of tell your mind or remind yourself, yep, yep, that did happen. And right now we're trying to orient towards the, the beautiful aspects of this relationship, this, the connected aspects of this relationship. And so it's like holding both, again, the paradox of holding both the, the challenge and the beauty at the same time. And so that's the exploration to not deny that rub of struggle with the dear friend as it comes up in the metta, but to, uh, to orient towards what you appreciate about that person what you uh, feel connected with about that person. It's helpful um, in choosing a, a dear friend for the metta practice in particular, since in the metta practice we're exploring the connection and the wish for happiness, health, well-being, and safety. If you can pick someone who's generally having an okay time in their life right now, that will support you. If you, are, if you pick someone that's having a struggle right now, that struggle may, become, may come into the fore in your mind. And the orienta- when we're connected with somebody and somebody is struggling, the natural response of the heart there is the compassion practice, is compassion rather than just the simple connectedness, the simple wish for their happiness. It's more about wishing that they be free of specific kinds of stress or suffering. And so uh, the compassion practice is a practice in its own right, and at times when we are exploring compassion practice, we consciously bring to mind people that we care for that are struggling. But for this practice in exploring the metta, I encourage you to pick someone that you care for who is not struggling at this point. To just to begin to have that connection so that that extra part of their struggle, their suffering, isn't um, um, creating tension in the mind as you're wishing them happiness. The other thing that's classically said in the commentaries about a dear friend, picking a dear friend, is to, um, to not pick somebody... Uh, that you are sexually attracted to, or even necessarily of the gender that you are sexually attracted to. That can, and I I discovered this in my own practice. Um, I found that as I was doing the metta practice, 
for my benefactor, actually, um, who was not of the gender to whom I'm sexually attracted, there were feelings, the, the feeling of love, the feeling of connection can slip into feelings of um, a sexual connection. And so it was really helpful for me to recognize, oh, this is part of the meta here, rather than it being inherently, you know, it's, it's like the mind didn't get confused about my actually wanting a sexual relationship with this person. But there, w- there were some of those feelings that, that came up. The body had some of those feelings. And so that's the reason why classically it is said to not choose somebody of the gender to whom you're sexually attracted for this dear friend. Um, uh, if you're attracted to all genders, then, you know, just pick somebody to whom you're not sexually attracted. And, uh, you know, you're welcome to play with this, especially, especially um, today, you know, just see what happens for you as you pick somebody. Where is it easiest to feel this connection? That's what I'd encourage. Pick somebody for whom it's easy to feel, to feel this connection. And so we'll begin again with uh, finding a posture that feels comfortable, as comfortable as possible, and relaxing the body. Breathing in the area of the heart. Just noticing how you are. In the metta practice, there's also another understanding that we begin by connecting with the place where it's easiest for us to touch into the possibility of metta. And so for you, if that's easy being or self, whichever one is easiest for you, The easiest place for you to begin to touch into that connection will start there. First, letting yourself recollect things that you appreciate, either about yourself or this benefactor. Reflecting on the beautiful, the good. And then beginning to express these wishes of kindness, connection, of caring for this being, for yourself, for this other being. Remembering that our practice isn't about trying to make the feeling happen, but more opening to what happens as we make these wishes. Noticing how each wish lands in our organism, in our system.
bringing your dear friend to mind. Letting yourself reflect on what you appreciate about this being. Your friend, what do you appreciate about your friend? Ways they are in the world, kind things they've done, qualities that you appreciate about them. Begin offering the wishes of kindness to your dear friend. With a dear friend, since we know them better, know them fairly well, sometimes we can use that knowledge to support us with each of these wishes. When you wish, may you be happy. Envisioning them doing something that makes them happy. Something you know they enjoy. When you wish, may they be healthy. Envisioning them with that sense of health and well-being. When you wish, may you be safe. Envisioning them in a place where they feel safe. And so we can use kind of our imagination to support that sense of connection. May you live with ease. What does that mean for your friend? And remembering to check in. How does it feel to make this wish?
in wishing for their happiness, their health, their safety, their well-being. The wish of metta wishes for a true happiness, not a happiness that relies on struggle or conflict or confusion.
If the practice starts to feel dry or mechanical, you're welcome to just spend a few minutes reconnecting with what you appreciate about your friend. And then returning to the phrases. And if it feels too much of a struggle, you're also welcome to shift to an easier being. for the last couple of minutes of the sitting. I invite you to bring to mind either envisioning or as a sense of being with your dear friend, your benefactor, and yourself all being together. Maybe facing each other and exploring all of you wishing together. May we be happy. Though that there's not a sense of it being exclusive or exclusionary. May we be healthy. May we be safe. May we live with ease. Taking a few minutes to explore that possibility.
Another thing that sometimes comes up or begins to come up with the dear friend in particular, at least it did for me, was this sense of if I'm wishing my friend happiness, somehow that is counter to my own happiness. That somehow I felt like happiness was a zero-sum game. That if somebody else had some happiness, then it meant less for me. And so that's another uh, misunderstanding. I think partly that comes from the idea of happiness as being connected to material things. And there are so, there are only so much material things to go around. And so, if we think of happiness as being related to having things, then there may be less to go around. But again, the kind of happiness we're exploring here is not. It's not necessarily that. That that wish for happiness isn't necessarily about the wish for having things, but about the wish for ease of heart. And so, uh, just again, noticing for myself, it was it was just recognizing, wow, that is well, partly why it's so hard for me to wish metta for people or for myself, because I feel like there's only so much metta to go around. There's only so much happiness to go around. And what I began discovering as I explored this is that... Uh, when I began connecting with the happiness and well-being of others, it made me feel happy. I was like, the Dalai Lama has said, you know, it's nice to take delight in the joy or the happiness of others because then you've got six billion times more opportunities to be happy, to feel that joy. So uh, that's just another piece to explore. So there's a little bit of time for questions, um, comments at this point about the practice. Yeah. Uh-huh. It's on. That's, it's, it's delightful, actually. That was one of the things that, that I noticed, too, at one point. And, and my teacher, I was in Burma at the time, he said, it feels good to wish people well. So, you know, we can, we can feel that joy. So that's beautiful that you noticed that, yeah. Beautiful, beautiful. Thank you for sharing. Thank you. There, yeah, in the back, Sally. I'm a little mystified because um, mostly the the benefactor, the friend, the the um, 
me, you know, all of it has been easy to come by. My heart feels very open, very happy, very light. And yet I have so much self-hatred. <laughs> so appreciate for this time that it's easy to come by. <laughs> you don't have to remind yourself of that part at this point. I mean, it, it actually what you can do with, with this is just recollect that at this point the self-hatred isn't happening. So self-hatred is something, as I am well aware, I have practiced a lot with self-hatred, knowing that that is a quality. It comes and goes. It has conditions. And at this moment, in this time, the conditions are ripe for you to feel something else. So just appreciating that. And, and you don't have to think about it or try to figure it out. It's, um, uh, yeah, it... Uh, probably the, the, those conditions will come back at some point and you'll get to work with those again at some point. But at this point, just appreciate, appreciate the ease that you're feeling around it. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, over here. Oh, um, my question is, when you said that happiness isn't finite, like there's enough to go around, what did you say it was summed to zero? Zero, I, oh, I thought it was a zero-sum game, which means that, zero sum game. that if, if uh, I have some, you don't have some. So that's the way I thought of it. Um, I think the technical term would be it's a non-zero-sum game. <laughs> happiness is, is, this true kind of happiness is a non-zero-sum game. So in fact... Appreciating somebody else's happiness can multiply happiness. Thank you. Um, Why is it not natural for all human beings to want to be happy? Why, why Why are some programmed to do otherwise? So what I would say is that I would say the... 99.999% 99.999% of us are, are kind of at the deep level wishing for our own happiness and actually also for the happiness of our loved ones. But we get confused. It's very easy for confusion to come in and to believe based on our upbringing, based on conditioning, that I need to do this. I need to hold on to things in order to be happy. I need to prevent somebody else from, from having something in order for me to be happy. And so we've, we've learned these strategies that are kind of based on a, a very um, a short-sighted approach to happiness. I mean, we get, we get a hit of happiness when we get something that we want. You know, if we get something that we want or we, somebody sees us in a way that we want to be seen, it can feel good. There's a kind of a happiness that comes with that. But it's, a, it's an unreliable kind of happiness because it depends on external conditions. And so many of us, I'd say all of us, have gone through our lives. It's the rare being who goes through their lives without um, that kind of confusion about happiness. And so some, some, some beings, I'd say, have a, have a um, more uh, challenging struggle in their conditions in life. And because of that challenge, because of that struggle, they're more protected and closed around this quality of love. 
And so I would say it's not, it's not that they're not wired for it, but it's that it's been kind of encrusted over. And uh, it, it, it can take a long time for that encrustation to wear away. And it takes a commitment. It takes a, a real courage, actually, to be willing to meet. I mean, as you're seeing, I think many of you are seeing today, how much this wish for our own happiness, well-being, is bringing up other stuff. And that's, that's the courage that it takes to face that. The, as we face that, as we explore opening to that and recognizing, okay, it's not my fault that I feel this way. It was conditioned. There were conditions of my life. We can even sometimes recognize the conditions of our life that made us feel that protected, that protective or, or confused. And sometimes we can know that about uh, others, you know, that we can, we can imagine or reflect on, yes, that person is behaving that way because they had, you know, they, they were born in a, a, a very challenging situation. And so we can reflect on that. It is conditions that create those barriers to feeling that love. For the vast majority of us, that's the way it is. That it's, it's basically, it's a form of delusion that's obscuring this possibility for this wish. And it takes a lot of courage to be willing to look at that delusion because all of our conditioning is kind of pushing us towards the way we've done things in the past. <laughs> And it's hard to change the direction of that. It's like we're a battleship, you know. We're this huge, enormous ship. And it's, you know, got a lot of momentum to head in one direction. And yet, as we start to explore this practice, it begins to reorient that, the direction of that ship. And we can turn it. It doesn't, like, turn on a dime. It doesn't, like, instantly shift. But it does begin to reorient and we begin to, part of what we, what we see, what we explore is, what does it mean to be allowing and opening to all of this, all of this incrustation, all of the hardenings, all of the messiness of our hum- humanity? What does it mean to open to that, not with aversion, not with frustration, not with hatred, but with a kind of a kindness that understands, yeah, of course it's like this for this being. This is where this being came from. And yet it's not, uh, it's not like our conditioning has to keep us going that direction with the tools of mindfulness and compassion and love, we can really begin to shift that conditioning. And as I said, that takes a lot of courage. And some people are not in the place at this moment in their lives to meet that or have that courage for themselves. And so we cannot make the choices for others for them. And we can only do our own work for ourselves. And yet, what I, I do have a strong sense of is how... I mean, we see, we see so easily uh, in the climate of the world how contagious anger and hatred is. And yet, compassion and love are equally contagious. So, the more we explore this possibility of 
changing our minds, of shifting, the more we put something different into the world and the more of an impact it has on the world. And so it's kind of like we, we flip the script. I heard this phrase on a podcast one day. We flip the script. Instead of meeting anger with hatred and anger with anger, we explore what does it mean to meet anger with awareness? What does it mean to meet, meet um, anger or hostility with love? There was a story I heard on this podcast. Um, the podcast is called Invisibilia. And uh, there was a, a man, or there was a, a family having a kind of a celebration in their backyard. And um, we were just celebrating somebody's birthday or something and and in between the people in this a, a guy walked in and he had a gun in his hand and he you know put this gun and started pointing it at the people in this gathering he'd walked into the backyard and had a gun and he said give me your money and they didn't have any money with them and so they were you know they started by trying to meet that by you know by by shaming the person. It's like, you know, what would your mother say about your doing this? And that person said, I don't have a mother. And so it, the first few attempts at, at navigating this situation were with kind of the meeting, the, the hostility or the, um, the harshness with more harshness. And uh, at some point, one of the people in the, in the group said, hey, you know, we're... We're celebrating here, and we're we're having a, a um, you know we're having some wine, and and we're just enjoying ourselves. Would you like to join us? Have a glass of wine. And the guy sat, you know, said, kind of looked a little startled, and and said, okay, and sat down with them, and they just started sharing what they had with him, having the, the cheese and crackers on the table, and just sharing it with them. After a little while, he said. I think I came to the wrong place. <laughs> and then, uh, and then you know, he, he asked at the end for a hug from all of them. And he left with the glass of wine. You know, he left with the glass. But a little while later, you know, so a- after, you know, he, the gun got put away, and, and after he left, the, they, um, all of the people were like, wow, that was kind of a miracle. And yet this is the kind of miracle that can happen when we flip the script. And they found the wine glass very carefully placed outside of their, um, outside of their door <laughs> later on. And so, you know, so, so this, this is just a story, I think, that points out how contagious love and compassion can be. Um, so, yeah... Um, it's time for lunch at this point. So, yeah.